Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting Orban Foundation at OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, resolution, and togetherness on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Please consider donating at OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org forward slash donate. As a thank you, you'll receive a free copy of the book Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War by Michael Orban. Receive your free copy by donating at OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org forward slash donate. But I found a way to do it and wrote my first book and finally got it. I called it Angels in Vietnam, but it was a, it was a novel. Because why? Because I didn't want everybody to think that those stories were mine. <laughs> and I'm still not willing to admit that I'm a struggling Vietnam veteran at that point. I'm a doctor of chiropractic, and I'm pr- pretty successful in my practice. I didn't want my patients to know about some of the stuff. They would think that I was maybe, I mean, you know, Vietnam vets are crazy, aren't they? They're crazy and drug addicts. That's what we were told. So I didn't want anybody to know uh, my, about my experiences or the fact that I was even in a war. Welcome to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members make the transition from the military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including such things as nightmares, rage, and isolation. Veterans and family members in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Thank you for choosing to make this journey with us. Here is today's segment. Welcome back to another segment of Stigma Free Vet Zone. We are welcoming back our guest, John Wesley Fisher. John Wesley Fisher is a Vietnam veteran, and if you had joined us for the first segment, we have gone through John's experience in Vietnam, and he is now preparing to go home, and we are going to follow him on his experience, expectations going home, and what he actually finds, and just a remarkable educational story on how he learns to deal with the responses he's had to war. So let's go back out to Maine and welcome John Wesley Fisher. Hello, John. Hi. Thank you. So you have just experienced your entire battery and the men on it all killed in an episode while you were away from the battery. And now you're spent a little bit more time, but you're, you're preparing to go home. Your time and your extension are up. And so you get on your Braniff airplane with all the other guys and take us home. Well, just a little review on that. It wasn't the entire battery. The entire battery is all the guns. So oh, yes. it was just one gun that was killed, uh, that was wiped out. But yeah, that was a... Uh, that was pretty emotional for me. But when I got home, I, you know, really, I was pretty scared and I I was embarrassed. I really was embarrassed because for me, this is not an activity that I am programmed to do. My emotional component is not relating to fighting in a war in Vietnam. I'm I'm an INFJ, if you know anything about Myers-Briggs and and they tell me that if you're an INFJ, which is less than 1% of the male population, you should be probably going to seminary as opposed to going to war. But at any rate, I went to war. I come home 
And I am, oh, I, lots of protests going on, by the way. When I flew into San Diego, my family wasn't living there anymore, but I decided to go to San Diego first. There were protests everywhere. They were burning flags. It was the 4th of July when I flew in, and it was devastating to me. I ran into some of my friends. Some of them welcomed me back. Some of them said, why did you do that? Some of them that got out of the service for one reason, with one excuse after another, harped on me saying, you know, that was crazy. Why did you go do that? And I just really had no answers, and I didn't know what to do. And so I decided to start traveling. I had a Volkswagen van, a 1963 Volkswagen van that I had fixed up with a bed and a chest of drawers and a few things. And I put my surfboard on top, of, on top and off I went traveling the United States by myself, mostly just to travel and look for surf on the East Coast, look for surf wherever I could find it. But of course, you have to drive clear across the middle of the country too when you do that. And I ended up visiting some of the friends that I served with in Vietnam, but I also visited some of the parents, my friends that did not come home from Vietnam. I visited three different families and with three completely different reactions from them. And it was quite an amazing experience. I got home after about four months on the road. I had traveled to one area, picked up a friend, traveled to another area to visit somebody else with that friend. He would go home and sometimes I'd take somebody else part way around and, and it was really quite, quite an amazing trip clear across the country from San Diego, clear to Boston area, Massachusetts and south to Florida and back across the, the south and this is in 1969 so it's kind of a heavy, heavy area. I remember watching the movie uh, Midnight Cowboy while I was in New York and all the devastating things that happened to that character in New York and then I went to South and, and in Florida, while I was there, I watched, I saw the movie Easy Rider and I got, it was even more devastating for what happens down in the South to uh, people who are, don't agree with everything that happens down there. So at any rate, it was quite an interesting thing, but it started a, a precedence for me that traveling was very helpful and a lot of time alone, but a lot of time figuring out where you're going, doing different things and really helping me to process the war some, but also escape the war. And finally get home again, I started working some, and I still didn't have any goals on what I wanted to do with my life. I had money saved up. While I was in Vietnam, I didn't spend one cent. So I had plenty, I had money that I could travel with. And I finally decided that I just needed to leave the country. It was just too hard for me to be at home. And I decided to travel to where I could get the best surf. I decided on Australia and New Zealand. I got on a cruise, a P&O line ship back in the days before they had cruises, kind of like now they don't have cruises. <laughs> but I got on this ship that was, I got on in Hawaii, actually. I was spending some time with some friends in Hawaii and then boarded the ship to New Zealand. Spent three months in New Zealand. I had a three-month visa and then they didn't renew that right away. So I went to Australia with a six-month visa. And while I was in Australia, I got a visa back in New Zealand for three more months. So I was gone for an entire year. While I was in Australia, I actually, I hitchhiked from Sydney to Perth. It took seven days and 21 rides. I hitchhiked all the way to Perth. And I, because I, on one of the ships that I was on, I met a recent graduate of Palmer College of Chiropractic. And he was from an Australian uh, fellow from Perth. And I decided I wanted to go visit him. And while I was visiting him in Perth, he taught me everything, including 
procedures and techniques and everything. I mean, philosophy. I mean, I could have been a chiropractor right there, I believe, but I had to go back home to do that and get a pre-med and then a four-year doctorate degree before I could do that. But yet, nevertheless, that's where I was attuned to chiropractic and I was really, really involved and I started adjusting animals even before I went to school. I was so excited about it and, and the philosophy and everything. They say that if you want to keep John's attention, if John is trying to drive and he's talking about either surfing or chiropractic, you better be watching the map because he'll miss his turn. And I was really gung-ho. I came back from that trip and I went, started my studies and I went to in Denver, Colorado because my father had transferred and he was now a professor at uh, Metropolitan State College in Denver, Colorado. And I decided I'd go there to have some family with me to support me uh, during some of this processing and got my pre-med and on to chiropractic college. I'm busy, busy studying, not paying attention to war. I never even told anybody I was in the war. And I just kept my mind occupied. You know, <laughs> I got, you know, I barely graduated from high school, but I got straight A's in pre-med and I graduated with honors from chiropractic college, but mainly because not because I'm so smart necessarily, but because I studied like you would not believe. I kept my mind so much. I wanted to know everything about the subject, about biology, a course that I barely, that I almost flunked in, in junior college. I got an A in, in pre-med and then went on to chiropractic college, studied everything that I could. Post, I studied after, after school with other educators that were visiting the area with the Davenport, Iowa Palmer College of Chiropractic and became a chiropractor. I didn't mention that on my trip back to New Zealand from Australia, I met a girl from Canada who was leaving her husband, who was also Canadian, and he was, remained in New Australia, and she was separating from him. And I met her, and when I was in chiropractic college, we hooked up, and we were married before I graduated in 1976. And that was a 20-year marriage and two daughters, but something happened to me while involved in my big practice in Colorado, which I practiced there for 30 years. My nephew deployed to the Persian Gulf War in the early 90s. And although he was in the Navy, my mind put him in the middle of the jungle, even though there was no jungle where they, that war was being fought. I saw him in my dreams, in daily life. I saw him everywhere in the jungle. I started having flashbacks and nightmares. Before long, my wife was freaking out. She didn't know what was going on. And in 1995, she asked for a divorce. And then I'm on my own, having all this stuff going on. And I was, I was fit to be tied. I didn't know what to do. I did not want to go to the VA because I had patients. By the way, patients that didn't know I was a Vietnam veteran because I never told them. But they would tell me they were a Vietnam veteran and tell me their experiences at the VA. I did not want that. They were medicating, medicated. They were doing these, these forced count, group counseling groups that I'm not against, but yet I don't believe they were handled properly. And it was not the protocol that I wanted to go through. I knew I needed help. So what I did is I went out and I started interviewing psychologists and I fired two of them before I actually settled on one. It was a, a, a lady a psychologist in Lakewood, Colorado. 
and she was wonderful. She was open, warm, and she she let me cry like I like I cry here. And I took notes and I did all kinds of things. I started journaling. She gave me uh, titles of books. She turned me on to Thich Nhat Hanh, who ironically was a Buddhist Vietnamese monk. And I was just so enlightened by some of his foresights. He actually, by the way, was a peacemaker in Vietnam in the early 60s and had to go into exile or else he would be incarcerated by the Vietnamese and for being a peace activist back then. And he went to France and he's still alive today. He is actually back in Vietnam right now. He's almost, he's very old and he's gone back there to die, I guess. And, and so he's back in his old pagoda, but very enlightening information. I started journaling. After a while, I said, you know, I can't come in every week because there's too much going on. I, I have so much happening in between our visits that I need to process. I need to write about this. And I started meeting people in between our visits that would come in and give me insights about different things and different exercises to do and so forth for emotional uh, stability. And it was just really an understanding. And so it was really quite an amazing experience. And when I got to a point, I said, I think I need a bit of a rest. She says, I agree with you. And then she says, I think your next step here is to write a book. And I said, oh, and I handed her a stack of papers like this, <laughs> a stack of papers like a big city telephone book. And I said, I think I've already started. And she says, yes, I think you have. And she was just, she was just amazed. And so I then was on my own for a while. And John, John, um, John let, let me stop you for just a second, because you bring up some really important points that I think, especially some of our listeners would like to, to hear. You say that you interviewed psychologists. I think that's really an important thing, because a lot of us thought, no matter who we decided to go to if in mental health, they would be the person that saved us, that the power was in their hands to help us. And yet you had the insight to actually want to interview them to make sure that they were the right person for you. I think that's an excellent insight for a lot of people who are looking for mental health to make sure that you are the person that's hiring that person to help you. It's not just they're going to sprinkle magic pixie dust on you and, and they're going to be able to help you. The effort's got to come from you inside. And that, that's an excellent insight. And the, and, and the other one, when, when you left Vietnam, you mentioned that you were carrying from the helicopter, you were carrying the boxes of ammo and you were just doing anything to keep your, your mind occupied. You really pretty much did the same thing when you came home with the travel, with the surfing, uh, keeping your mind occupied until all of a sudden your mind really forced you to think about this with the nightmares and the flashbacks. So you had gone through about... 30 years of really leaving the country and running from the experiences of war when eventually you had to stop and find, I, I, I don't like to call it help. I like to call it education, some guidance in, in how to understand and process the reactions you were having. Is, is that a fair thing to say? That's exactly what it is. And it's exactly why I, I you know, being a holistic healthcare provider, I, I don't treat symptoms and so and I don't believe in medications and so forth for doing things. I understand we sometimes need things but but most of the time it's I think it's abused and I didn't think that that was going to help me emotionally to numb my brain to understand what was going on. I wanted to have a full understanding of the whole process of what's going on, what happened to me and how I can be survive and live onward. I mean <laughs> many times I wondered is this worth it? Is it really truly worth it? I was a cycler. I used to ride in Colorado and I had a road bike that I used. I've ridden most of the mountain passes in Colorado. And, you know, we have 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado. So it's quite an adventure and I loved it. And it, 
gave me a focus and it, and it, and it was exhilarating athletically, physically, but also, I mean, there were times though that I honestly wondered, you know, it'd be so easy just to drive off the, drive off this hairpin turn and keep on going straight instead of turning on the hairpin and, and, and it would be over. But I, I don't think I have that in me either. So I didn't, I never pursued that, of course. But at any rate, it was very important for me to get somebody to work with me that would be interested in me and not just the fact that I was a veteran and coming to the vet center or to the uh, Veterans Administration to, to do their protocol. Uh, it wasn't acceptable to me. So I went out and found my own and it was really powerful. And after that, after working with her, I decided to write a book. Now, I decided that the book was not going to be something that I published. It would just be for therapy. And so I started writing. Well, it was as hard as, I mean, it, it was the hardest book I've ever written. I've written five now, and this is my first one. It took me five years. I started over three times after completing it, thinking I was completed, and then started over all over again. I finally got some, I got some uh, writing coaches to help me write because really I didn't have experience writing and I, I needed some help with that one. I love creative writing classes in college and all that, but yet I needed a lot of coaching and, and, and help on that direct in that department. So I hired it and you know, I, I'm a lucky guy because a lot, a lot of Vietnam vets don't necessarily have the financial means to be able to do some of this stuff, but I found a way to do it and wrote my first book and finally got it I called it Angels in Vietnam but it was a it was a novel because why because I didn't want everybody to think that those stories were mine <laughs> you know I'm still not willing to admit that I'm a struggling Vietnam veteran at that point I'm a doctor of chiropractic and I'm pretty successful in my practice I didn't want my patients to know about some of the stuff they would think that I was maybe I mean you know Vietnam vets are crazy, aren't they? They're crazy and drug addicts. That's what we were told. So I didn't want anybody to know uh, my, about my experiences or the fact that I was even in a war. So I wrote it as a novel. But most of my stories and some of the stories I've told you here today are in that first book. All my stories are in some books, stories that I remember, by the way, or stories that I heard on the chopper or other stories that became my stories once, I mean, they became part of my nightmares once, uh, once I uh, heard them from other people. So my second book, I wrote about a guy who was captured and put into a bamboo tiger cage. That never happened to me, but I had a patient that it happened to, and he told me all about it. And it became a real life experience for me. I had to write about it. So I wrote about that in my second book, which was entitled, by the way, not welcome home. Meanwhile, I got divorced in 1995, just before I started the counseling and the writing. And I was with another woman for about four years. And then I, then she got tired of dealing with my Vietnam emotional garbage. And I met another gal and I married her and we were married for almost five years. And meanwhile, I'm writing two books while I married to her. I finished Angels in Vietnam and wrote not welcome home. And then this time I decided I, I decided I married her because she was blonde and beautiful. And but she was into alcohol and it didn't work for me. So I decided to call that one quits on my own and thought I would never marry again. But <laughs> I did. <laughs> and now I have married. Anyway, I'll, let me explain that in a bit, because 
the book writing is very, very important. Also, I met a man named Dr. Ed Tick. I was on a surfing trip on my 58th birthday, and I'm 73 now, so you can imagine that that, that was a little ways, a little time ago. But I'm on a surfing trip from Colorado. I'm in California, and I run into a buddy, and I'm by myself. I, I Almost all my birthdays, I usually spend on a trip by myself. I, when I was married the first time, I would go backpacking by myself on my birthday. I don't know why. I just I just always wanted to be by myself during that time. So I went out to California. I ran into a guy that I was in chiropractic college, who was also a surfer. We were really good friends. We were talking, and we, were, we just happened to run into each other in a Mexican restaurant. And we sat and ate dinner together. And, and he said, well, so how are you doing? Now, he's also a veteran. He was a medic, but he didn't get to Vietnam. He was a medic in the Philippines during the Vietnam War. So he's had a lot of experiences in that department. Also, I, he's as good as a Vietnam veteran as far as I'm concerned. But at any rate, he said, so are you doing all right? Are you coping with uh, all this? And I said, you know, I'm really not. By this time, I had already traveled back to Vietnam twice, by the way. After I wrote my first book, Angels in Vietnam, I decided to go to Vietnam with a veterans group. And I ran, I met a veterans group out of Tucson, Arizona called Tours of Peace, top. It was run by a, a Vietnam veteran who was a former Marine. And he went back to Vietnam in 1995 when they were allowed to go back and started taking other veterans back, much like my story. But he, uh, after that first trip, I was so blown away at how wonderful that country was. And I never dreamed that that country could be so wonderful and the people. And it was just an amazing experience. I became a member of the board of directors for, the, for TOP. And one of my projects was to arrange a trip back to Vietnam again for veterans who had already been back once. And in 2004, I went again. So two years in a row, I went. I started, I wrote my second book after that one about a guy who goes back to Vietnam after the war and kind of a, a mystery, a suspense novel. And then I, uh, I'm getting a little scattered here. I'm sorry. Then okay, I wait, uh, now, let, let me unscatter yourself for a second, John. Uh, we're speaking with the uh, Vietnam veteran and author, John Wesley Fisher. You're doing a great job, even though, even though you, you, you think you're getting scattered. But it, this might be a good place just to recap a little bit, because I think it would be important for some of the people that are in our audience. And it's one of the primary things we like to do. So you've gone back, you've had two marriages, three relationships, two marriages that have, uh, have not worked. You pretty honest about focusing on the fact that it was your psychological state of mind. A lot of it was the reasoning and others because a woman simply wasn't right for you. But you mentioned after you left your psychologist who suggested you write a book that you had already had a stack of papers where you were writing. So writing had actually somehow become something where you were unloading all of this experiences from your mind that kind of maybe reading into this that you couldn't really get rid of anywhere else. This was a good way in private. Nobody else would know about it. It was your private information, but yet you were getting it out of the scattered field of your brain and not the paper, which uh, I think is a very healthy thing for a lot of veterans who aren't aware of that. That's an excellent way to go about this. You know, we call it journaling, but it's really much more important than that. So you were able to do that. But the other part, you here you are a chiropractor. You've graduated with honors, and yet you don't want anybody to know about these things that are happening to you. Is there something in there that we call a stigma that was keeping you from going, here you are, the, you're the soldier, you're the warrior, you're the chiropractor, you're not supposed to have these weaknesses. Can we take that whole thing and explode it as just nonsense? I mean, that that well, whole stigma. Of course it is, but 
that's the way I felt, you know, yeah, and I was, I was embarrassed. And, and I, I really, I mean, for me, this wasn't a natural, a normal thing for, to do. And I had to do it. I was forced to do it. I mean, maybe I could have gotten out of it, but I answered the call because I, I didn't think I would be able to accept myself doing the things that you had to do to get out of it. Let, let me let, let me put it a different way, John. I'm not saying that let's explode the experience you had. I'm saying let's take the stigma to explode that stigma is nonsense. How do you go through what you've seen as a 20-year-old? As, yeah, I was 20 years old when I was out. How do you go through these things and come back and not expect to have these these reactions to not be up against these things that we're experiencing. You'd have to be a psychopath. I shouldn't say that, but you'd have to be, unless you believed in the mission, but to take 19, 20 year old kids and go through this and then expect them not to have any kind of a reaction to this. And then when they do to, to call it, uh, you know, that you haven't withstood your responsibilities as a man, I think we as the soldiers know that that's just foolish thinking. It's absurd. The reactions are justified and it's about education and reeducating yourself as you are doing and have been doing. And I just want to add one more thing. What you did, what it takes to do what you do, to admit that there are these things, to acknowledge you're having these responses, yet it takes courage to say, whatever is out there, I need to find the answers. I need to resolve this so I can go on with my life and get past this. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, absolutely. And when I was in San Diego on my 58th birthday, we'll go back to that now, I uh, ran into my friend who was a chiropractor there and a surfer. And I mean, I mean, you know, I can trust him with everything now because then he's also a veteran. And he says, how are you doing, John? And I said, you know, I've been back to Vietnam twice. I've written two books about it and I'm not doing very well. I'm, just, I'm in a bad marriage. I don't want to be in it anymore. This is my second marriage and it's just not great. He says, you know, you need to meet somebody that I've been studying with. And I said, seriously? He says, yep. He said, there's a man named Ed Tick, and he lives in Albany, New York, and he studies Greek mythology. He studies Vietnamese culture, Native American culture, and he's put together some things that are really powerful for veterans. He takes veterans back to Vietnam, too, and he takes them to Greece to study the ancient mythology. of. I mean, there's probably been more wars fought in Greece than anywhere else. And he has studied all of these things, and you need to. And now this was in the latter part of 2005, so my 58th birthday, September. He said, now I want you to give him a call. And he gave me, or email him, and he gave me his email address. When I got home, he said, now, did you email Dr. Tick yet? And I said, no, not yet. I will. And, and the, a week later, he emails me again. Did you email Dr. Tick? No. Now, it turns out that my friend had not really even met Dr. Tick, but has studied him studied with him with Greek mythology on online retreats. And so he was really into that Greek mythology. And he said, you need to see, meet Dr. Tick. So I finally got around to emailing him and Ed emailed me right back. And he, he, we started just chatting on the email about weekly for a little while. And then finally, towards the end of the year, he said, by the way, I have a new book coming out entitled War and the Soul. And when I saw that come across my computer screen, War and the Soul, I thought, it's, all of a sudden I sat back and I, I thought, oh no, is he, he going to tell me I don't have a soul? And I got, I got the book and I read it twice over the Thanksgiving weekend, four-day weekend. 
And then I called him up. I mean, it was really hard to get through. It was very emotional for me. I don't think I, I, I cried through almost every page. And I got, finally, I, I uh, called him and I said, all right, I read the book. Now what do I do? Do I have a soul? Maybe I don't have my soul anymore. <laughs> and he said, he said, well, my next retreat is coming up in February and it's to Greece. And I said, to Greece? And he said, yes, I, veterans go back with me and a lot of healthcare practitioners go back. This one is about studying medicine, ancient beginnings of medicine and healing. But whenever veterans are along, we do veterans work also. And they ended up doing an amazing soul retrieval experience for me in the Kermako Cemetery in Athens, Greece. And I have to tell you that I also met my wife, Lindsley, on this retreat. She was also on it. She's a healer, natural healer, body worker, shamanic healer, and also does a lot of vision quests. She leads vision quests, uh, uh, dances, and so forth. And she was on this, and we became friends, and she participated in a soul retrieval experience for me. And I mean, I don't know what it was. It was kind of a ceremony. I'm sitting up on this hill. People are chanting and doing things for me. And she is doing some some stuff that I'm not even aware of. And all of a sudden, I'm out of my body. And I'm up over looking down at this, this whole group doing all this stuff for me. And I'm going, what's going on? And I'm thinking, am I supposed to just float away now? Or do I come back? And all of a sudden, I start coming back down and sliding back into my body. And I'm looking around. And, I think, and things just feel so much different for me. And it was just like a real, not that I'm healed or anything, or, or I'd never have any more troubles or ever again, but I just feel like I've got a connection with myself once again. And this was really, really powerful. Lindsay and I were later married a couple of years later after I got, was divorced. And then we became closer and closer. We stayed in contact. She lived in Maine, by the way, which is where I'm living now. And I was in Colorado. And before long, we decided to start a life together, and we ended up moving to South Carolina. We both had history and exes living in Colorado. I had it in Colorado. She had it in Maine. So we decided to move to South Carolina, which is where I wrote my third book. And the third book was called The War After the War. And guess what? It's not a novel this time. It's a, it's a memoir, and it's a book about the veteran's point of view of how war and the soul helped and worked for me. I recommend that book, by the way, strongly. He's got another book now called Warrior's Return. And I worked with Dr. Tick for quite a long time. But I wrote this book, The War After the War, because the war, war in the soul is a, Dr. Tick is a really scholarly person. And he wrote this book and really it's pretty intense. And it took me two readings to really get a good feel. I can just imagine uneducated or really PTSD bombed out veterans trying to read this book, it might be very difficult for them to do that. And so I decided to write this book, The War After the War, to complement the, the book War and the Soul, written as a veteran's point of view, also using my stories. And this time, I identify myself with these stories, that it's me doing these stories. Some of them had already been told in my novels. But I told these, I told stories in this in this book, and it was really quite relieving. I started working with Dr. Tick, traveling around the country, doing warnings. In fact, that's where I met you, Mike, in Wisconsin at one of the retreats, and really got involved. And then I kind of got burned out after for, after a while, 
we had a lot of young veterans coming to the retreats. And one at one retreat, it was in Atlanta, we had a group of guys who came in who were still in the military and they were actually in a hospital situation in disabled hospital up in Washington area. And they came to this retreat sponsored by somebody. There was about a dozen of them and all these guys were so militarily gun-ho. And when they told their stories, they really got into it and they were so excited about the killing a part of it and everything. And it freaked me out. And I told Ed, I gotta, I gotta take a break from this stuff for a while. This is really blowing my mind. And I haven't been to another retreat since, by the way. So I, I, I think I've come full circle with that one. I've helped Ed with, you know, dozens and dozens of retreats, but I think I've, I don't need that part anymore and telling my stories and, and so forth in a group of people. And, and the retreats were wonderful and awesome. And they helped many guys acquire an identity with their own soul. But it was something that I needed to move on with. And, but John, uh, John let, let, let's go back. I, I agree with you. You know, some of the things that we do, for example, when you took off and traveled around the world to evade thinking about your experiences at war, some of the things that I've noticed veterans doing using laughter to laugh away. Everything's funny. You know, it's, it's a military laughter rather than, rather than focusing as you do in crying and the value of crying. We laugh so we don't have to face the tears. We laugh so we don't have to face the broken soul. But you mentioned the other, the other thing that these guys were doing is kind of enhancing the, the glory of being in war and all of that. I think sometimes we feel if we're with other veterans, we are compelled to do that, to think of war in, 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 the, in the war stories, right? rather than the war damage. So I, I think these are things that are important for our audience, especially those looking for that, to understand that there is nothing to really be ashamed of to come back with what you're expressing now. And you mentioned something when you went to Greece, that you are reconnected with your soul. I mean, to have that as an actual thought in your mind, a, a conscious thought that you're being reconnected with your soul, it, it almost has to define what was there before, which is a disconnection from your soul, and really a sense that we really don't know who we are anymore until we reconnect with that soul. It, is, is, there some, is, is that a fair statement to make? Absolutely. And, and you have to know that reading Dr. Tick's book helped me to understand that of course, I didn't lose my soul, but I lost my connection with my soul. And, and that is something that he helped me as well as the group and as well as the trip to Greece helped me to understand. And to the Karamako Cemetery, by the way, is the oldest warrior cemetery in the world. And there are, I mean, all these statues in the cemetery, that none of them have heads on them and everything. I mean, it's really an eerie, wild place to walk in. I couldn't even walk in there in the beginning. I, I got to the gate and I said, I can't go in here. I started freaking out. I started really having a, a heavy flashback scene. And I, I was just ready to flight and take off and go be by myself that day while the group went in there. Ed said, nope, you need to be in here. This is very important for you. And the group congregated around me, especially Lindsley, and helped me to feel comfortable. And we went in there. We did the ceremony. But I knew that that was involved. Later that year, Lensley and I also did a trip with Dr. Tick. In, in 2006, we went back to Vietnam with him. And so that was my third trip back to Vietnam. We were then married after that. And then uh, 2009, I decided to, I really wanted to go back to Vietnam again. And I decided to start organizing my own 
trips to back to Vietnam and I had a number of veterans that wanted to go and I had quite a group that very first trip, one of my biggest groups. And I started going back to leading trips back to Vietnam. And now that was my third. Now I've been back 14 times, one of them even a solo trip. But I also got back into writing. So traveling and writing, appropriate counseling, that's what works for me. Dr. Tick continued on with my counseling. It was very, I mean, it's, it's quite essential that you get something that is absolutely comfortable for you and that you can identify with. And if you're not, it's, you're not going to, it's not going to be successful. I don't believe. Now I shouldn't say that because maybe some guys will be successful, even if they don't believe that it's happening, but nevertheless, that's what worked for me. And so I've done a lot of traveling. I also have traveled other places in the world. I'm a surfer. So I've gone, most of my traveling involves where I can go to surf. I've been to Bali and a lot of the Pacific islands and, and so forth, but it's a, these are really, really important things for my healing process. As far as my spirituality is concerned, I feel like I'm an extremely spiritual person, but I am not a religious person. My father was, by the way, a Methodist minister. When he was going to school in Boston to get a PhD, he was already a Methodist minister, and he had a church in Spokane, Washington. After he graduated with a PhD, we went back to Washington. He had a church in Seattle through grade six for me before he decided to change professions and become a college professor. And we moved to San Diego. So I had this background of, of Christianity and religion, but it just didn't resonate with me. The spiritual part of it, you know, is I believe that I have a soul that is connected to the, to spirit, but I do not need to have the scriptures to feel and understand that that's just me. My father very accepting of my my experience in all of this. He died very young, by the way. I was just graduated from chiropractic college. He died of Lou Gehrig's disease. And my mom shortly after was scleroderma. So I lost both my folks fairly young in their 60s. But I, as far as I study Buddhism, I study Confucianism, I study Hinduism, Christianity, all these things are important to me, but I don't worship in these categories. Does that make sense? It's, it's really important to me to be connected to spirit. And especially my wife has really helped me a lot because she is, she, she's like a conduit of spirit. And for me, this is an important factor in my healing process is to know that I'm not alone out there and that there are no accidents. You know, discovering that there are no accidents, things happen the way they're supposed to happen for me. I learned that I've written about this so many different times. I had a big trouble writing my first book thinking that, how come I get to come home and all my friends, so many of my other friends didn't get to come home. What's the deal with that one? And I, I had this vision, so to speak, while I was writing my first book. And all of a sudden, I started typing this thing out. And I typed, there are no accidents. That's why. And I go, where did that come from? And I pieced together that and worked on it and worked on it for years and years before I totally understood that, hey, we all have a destiny. Dr. Tick helped me with this one, too. We all have a destiny. We don't know what it is. We don't know what we're headed for, what we're supposed to be doing. But whatever happens is what was going to happen. I mean, there are no accidents. It's in the destiny. And 
I live it to this day. I, in 2012, I took a solo journey to Vietnam. You want me to talk about this now? No, actually, I don't, John, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I want to go back and clear up a few things. And, and, and if you're okay, I'd like to invite you back for a third session and schedule it because there's just too much that happens in Vietnam, which I'd like to introduce. But I want to go back again because part of our mission here is to, to guide some of the veterans and families who are struggling. And you bring up so many points, if we could just clear a couple of them. Number one, we've talked about the experience of the veteran, you as the veteran coming home from war, your war experience. One of the things that we're trying to get involved in now is what's the health care of the family, the primary health care unit being the family, as opposed to us coming home and finding out that or thinking that the primary health care unit is the veteran ourselves. And, and so a lot of us have had the, the marriages that haven't worked out, the relationships that haven't worked out, the failures with our children. A lot of veterans I know are completely estranged from their children. So we want to change that. That's part of our mission here. The other thing is you, you mentioned something that's very, very important in this whole connection to the soul. Do you think this, when we're disconnected from our our soul, our sense of, of the world, of looking at the world. We don't understand who we are and what's our relationship to our reality. Our reality has changed because our belief system has changed from pre-war. And, and we start ha having these suicidal ideologies, and not, not serious ones, not deep ones, but we get the isolation. We have the, the numbing of our emotions. A lot of these things you've addressed, which is where I think the courage comes to go in and, and find answers for them. So I would encourage veterans or family members who are struggling, don't worry about this. Don't even think about this as mental health issues. Think about this as you've had an experience in life and you want to find the answers so that you can, a, a way to resolve them. And I think that's what you mean when you're, or, 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 or suggesting when you mean, find somebody who can help guide you in this education so that you can retrieve this better sense of who you are and what these reactions you've had to war, experiences you've had at war. How do you resolve them? How do you accept them? How do you understand them? and then move on. So what, what I'm, I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, is invite you back for another session because you have gone back to Vietnam on your last trip or second to last trip and written your, your book coming up, Docto RX, which I'll, I'll, let you, I'll give you a minute to explain the title. But in that experience, you find so much more that is valuable to the healing of the human spirit, not through mental health issues, sitting in a psychiatrist's chair, but through what you have observed by actually going back and being on the battlefield with one of the opposing forces from, I believe he was a Viet Cong, and you actually go out, just the two of you, back to an actual battle site where, where he was, and I, I'm not sure if you went to one that where you actually were, but you've gone back to battlefields in the jungle with just one man from the opposing side and slept overnight in that jungle. But you've also introduced us to a lot of us to some of the other concepts of going back to being within the country where we actually fought these wars. And one of the things that, that hit me, and, and you have shared your book with me, I've read it, is if they were to take all of us uh, before we actually join the military, knowing where the war is going to be and send us over to, pay, to spend some time in that culture for a year, none of us would go back and fight these wars. I, I swear we wouldn't do that. So if it's up, with, if you're okay with it, could we invite you back to continue this story for when you go back to Vietnam on this last trip where you actually travel from the southern tip of Vietnam all the way to the northern tip to the border of China and the families you meet, the veterans you meet from the NVA, from North Vietnamese Army, 
economy, the Viet Cong, inspiring stories. And, and some of them, one of them, Paul, I believe his name was, was the, the, the man that you went out into the jungle with. And they have a different healing process there or a different reaction to this war. He, he makes a statement, war, that was then. This is now. There is no war today. And yet they have done a much better job of recovering from the war than we have in America. And I think it's somehow we get trapped mentally in that time at war and can't get past it. We're still living 50 years ago, a lot of us, even though we're 50 years older. And I think what you have shared, and I'm sorry to speak so profoundly about this, but I was profoundly moved by your book, is that there is so much value to the human spirit, to the soul, not in mental health circumstances, but an actual experience of understanding and resolving these issues by having the courage to go out and look and wanting to heal these things. And you do such a beautiful job. So if I were to invite you to come back, not, not waiting for your book to come out, but in the near future, would you agree to that, John? Yes, sir. John Wesley Fisher. Um, yes, I will. And let me just prelude that next section then. Sure. Take, take, take like four or five minutes and, it would, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll schedule another session with you, John. Perfect. This book is written actually about a solo trip in 2012. I'd already been back to Vietnam eight times when I did this trip. And I've been back quite a few times since that solo trip. But uh, a couple of years ago, the weather was particularly cold. I, I winter in Florida these days. I can't get myself to winter in Maine here after growing up in California. I uh, want to get away from here. Uh, so we have a, our recreational vehicle and we take off and go to Florida for the winter. When winter, it was particularly cold. And I sat down and what am I going to do? I started writing this, this new book and it was a travel log about my trip back to Vietnam. But it was my solo trip. So most of the time I go back with groups. And when you go back with a group, there's a lot of things you can do. And you meet the people and you find out that they have a different, their culture is so different that they don't dwell on the past any part of their lives. And that includes being in a war. And now you have, to, you have to know that Vietnam has been in war for thousands and thousands of years against the Chinese mostly. But in the 1800s, the French came over there and tried to colonize the place. The, during World War II, the French had to leave to go back to Europe to fight in the war there. And the Japanese came into Vietnam and they had to fight the Japanese. And then the French came back after World War II. And in 1954, the French were then left for good, but yet the Americans came back in and trying to fight for democracy for the South Vietnam that apparently wanted democracy. I'm not sure they really even knew what that was, but at any rate, the culture is so amazing that they, they are very mindful, living in the present moment, they do not dwell on these things. And this is part of how they are raised and how they grow up. So consequently, they come home from a war, their communities, they're very family-based, by the way, and community, everybody in a village is part of a family. They are so close that they help these veterans just return home and become part of their community again and accepted like nothing else. And what, we come home to protest, protesting against our participation but yet they came home to acceptance and this cultural understanding that, you know, once something has happened, you don't go back on it. You let it happen. You let it be the way it was. And you, you go on to what's happening today. 
Let me say this because it's something I ended up my one of my interviews of myself with something you wrote in your book. and We didn't even know that what they have are two things. I hope our guests will come back and listen to because they're profound. You you ended up your book, Leo, not with two words, love and forgiveness. And that's how I ended up to find. And we're not talking about loving your dog. We're talking about a love that's a love of something much bigger than ourselves and a forgiveness for, for what we have done. And I think I really honestly invite our guests to come back because what you share in what you've just explained is very, very profound. So tell me you'll come back and let's leave it there. And, and that'll be the incentive for the folks to come back to us. Okay, I'll be back. John Wesley Fisher, thank you very much. Look forward to talking with you again. Thank you for listening to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is always welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. Our program is produced by Blueberry Pro Productions. On behalf of Michael Orban, this is Bob Bach. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.